The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing The Mask of Mandragora, the fourth Doctor story. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? Very well, thanks. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, we would ask you kindly if you take a moment to write an Apple podcast review of this show and share the podcast with your friends. That helps us grow our community and reach more listeners. We haven't had an Apple podcast review in quite a while, and I don't Uh-oh. like to beg because it seems unseemly, but no. I'm begging, please. But just just to let you know, the, the Apple <laughs> podcast reviews that we do have are kind of lonely. They could use some yeah. companionship. Exactly. A, a new companion is always We're, good we're holding out our hat. Who. Reviews for the poor. Reviews for the poor. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, and I also want to tell you about another show on the network that you are sure to enjoy called Let's Science. You can find that at sqpn.com slash science or wherever fine podcasts are found. So, Digging uh, that verbification of a noun. Thank you. I <laughs> appreciate that. Um, I'm, I'm into verbifying. So um, just before we talk about this episode, uh, the story, we get to the recap, a couple of behind the scenes little bits. This is the first serial of season 14 of mm-hmm. Doctor Who. So it's a whole new season. And it, it's also a whole new police box. They've, yep. the, mm-hmm. the TARDIS prop has been replaced. Was unsafe. Yes. Apparently yeah. the roof collapsed on uh, Tom Baker and Elizabeth Sladen at some point in the filming. And they, that they said, that's it. This, they, it was looking pretty ragged in the last season. I don't know why they hadn't replaced it earlier, because in some of these early seasons of Doctor Who, the TARDIS prop is just, wow, that needs a coat of paint, and um, <laughs> yeah. well, and then, maybe more than that. And I, I wonder if, and I was thinking about this today, is I wonder if part of it was, of course, because it was 13 years old at this point, and had been torn down and, ta- you know, and it was looking pretty ratty, but also TV technology was starting to get better. This was about the time the Trinitron TVs were mm-hmm. starting to be developed by Sony, and right. so... The, the tube technology had improved dramatically by this point. So the so, imagery was a little more higher resolution, and therefore yeah. you could see. I mean, and it still can't be that expensive to build a TARDIS. I mean, yeah, still, still not to the level, obviously, of you know, 1080p or 4K, but definitely sure. not the old 1960s blurry black and white that people were used to. So you, you could, right. I mean, the sets were still pretty creaky. There's a couple of places in this one where you see a wall that's supposedly solid brick that wobbles when they touch it, but... <laughs> Right. Also, Elizabeth Sladen, yeah, Elizabeth Sladen stayed on for like an extra seven months on the show just to get to do this, mm-hmm. right? Because she she knew this story was coming up and and she wanted to do this story, so she stayed on for like seven extra months. And this is her next to last serial. Next time we loop around to Sarah Jane, it'll be her final episode. Right. Oh wow! Right. Oh, that's amazing. Um, given how popular she is as a companion, that is a relatively brief time. That she's well, on. no, I mean, she's, see, we haven't encountered the beginning of her run because the oh. beginning of her run is with John Pertwee. Yep. Oh, okay. So she comes, she's the final companion of the, of the third Doctor and among the first companions of the fourth Doctor. So she was actually right. on for quite a long time, relatively speaking. 
Sure, sure. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Because uh, I, I always identify her as Tom Baker and and Elizabeth Slayton. You know that yeah. that uh, pairing. And they are the classic pairing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're the if if you think of no other Tom Baker companion, you're probably going to think of 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 Sarah Jane. Yeah. yeah. But there there are others, although they don't stick around as long. Uh, next, we get we have a couple episodes where he's like by himself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of them is a- immediately after Sarah Jane. He has no companion for one story. Then we get Leela. Then we get Romana one. Then we get Romana two. And then we get. Tegan, Nissa, and Adric all at once in like the final episode before the fifth Doctor. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. That's right. He's yeah. He's hardly with them at all. Yeah, I was, I was um, just looking up. Sarah Jane was on for basically three and a half seasons, mm-hmm. so she was actually on for quite a while. Oh, okay. Oh, interesting. All right, so uh, let's talk about this: the Mask of Mandragora. Now I'm saying it properly this time. Now that I've heard it said mm-hmm. in the show, mm-hmm. uh, Jimmy, can you give us a recap of what happens? The fourth Doctor and Sarah Jane are on board the TARDIS when they get sucked into an energy vortex known as the Mandragora Helix. While they're there, although they don't realize it, some of the Helix energy stows away aboard the TARDIS. They are then forced to land in 15th century Renaissance-era Italy, and something is rotten in the Italian state of San Martino, because today's show has a set of characters who are straight out of William Shakespeare's play Hamlet, only with the names changed. But we've also landed in a Hammer horror film because there's an evil cult of black, pa- black-robed pagan monks skulking around who want to sacrifice Sarah Jane to their imaginary god Demnos. They are known as the Cult of Demnos or the Brethren. The Helix energy then gets out of the TARDIS and decides to pretend to be the god Demnos so it can use the cult to take over the world. In particular, it wants to make the court astrologer, Hieronymus, or Jerry, uh, the supreme ruler of the world on their behalf. They want to uh, do this, the Mandragora intelligences, so that they can stop mankind from spreading out into the stars. And they plan to check our progress by killing off a bunch of Renaissance-era scholars, including Leonardo da Vinci, at a fancy dress ball or mask uh, that Giuliano, the new Duke of San Martino, will be holding. But the Doctor realizes that the Mandragora uh, energy must be spread pretty thin among the Brethren at present, so he protects himself with a metal breastpiece and gets a bunch of wire, which he wraps around the cult's altar stone, to bleed the energy off and ground it. He then impersonates the High Priest Jerry, stops the Brethren's attack on the fancy dress party, and leads the Brethren down to the catacombs. New Mandragora energy is now arriving from space, but because the altar has been grounded, it drains off all this energy, killing and disintegrating the brethren in the process. The end. That that's about does it. Yeah, and Hamlet is an interesting comparison because yeah, yeah, it, 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 it is so Hamlet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so in in this, we've got the so young Duke Giuliano has just become the Duke because his father has died. So we've got the dead father. Mm-hmm. Just like King Hamlet in the play Hamlet, mm-hmm. we have Duke Giuliano in the place of Prince Hamlet. Mm-hmm. Um, his his uncle has aspirations to greatness. Oh, I, I should mention before I go to the uncle, uh, Hamlet has a has his friend Horatio. Giuliano has his friend Marco. Mm-hmm. They're parallel. Uh, Count Federico, Federico in this is the equivalent of Hamlet's uncle Claudius who is a usurper and his uncle mm-hmm. and the uh and and the usurper uncle 
has a counselor hmm. who is Pol- Polonius in Hamlet and Hieronymus or Jerry in The Mask of Mandragora. Hmm. <laughs> so this is Hamlet with space energy. And, and no women. Where's Ophelia? <laughs> right. well, and, Hamlet, and Hamlet's mom. I mean, you kind of got, I guess you can maybe make Sarah Jane Ophelia, but we need Hamlet's mom for a full parallel. That's right. That's right. Um, uh, and, and you mentioned that uh, mask in the title is not literally the thing you wear of your face, but is a type yeah. of ball in which people Masquerade are wearing ball. costumes and masks and that sort of thing. And I guess in the title here, it's really a reference to like the mask of Mandragora is the, the 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 ball the well it's also in in a sense the um the 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 brethren i keep wanting to say monks the brethren who are masked and hieronymus who mm. is masked mm. and it's the the play it the, the, i don't want to say play because i don't mean like stage play but the way that they play at being mm. this cult the the right. and, and hmm. become this face that's, for an, it. In, hmm. that's an interesting interpretation um it it's it i i think i think the more the obvious reference is to the the ball the mask yeah. that they hold within the story right um which which mandragora is trying to disrupt right um but uh but the idea that there could be this other meaning as well you know is possible yeah i mean they have these awesome masks that they're wearing the the, the cult does with their robes these wild like crazy uh yeah. mm-hmm. carved things it's kind they're of they're like ugly human faces yeah and they're meant to be scary and and jerry has the the scariest or mm-hmm. at least the most impressive and his mask is gold yep. and there's this great moment after he's become charged up with the mandragora energy it happens more than once actually but Someone rips off his mask, and there's no face there, just the glowing energy. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And 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 there's after and in, in fact, um, one of the people to do that is um, Uncle Federico. Mm-hmm. And after he does it, he gets killed. And when the doctor comes back, and people are asking, "Where's Uncle Federico?" It's like, "Oh, he's dead. How did he die?" Let's just say Jerry gave him a blank look. <laughs> yeah, that was a great line. I noticed that one. That was that was a good line. So, uh, so is this where Lucas got Force energy from? Yeah, it's right before uh, uh, um, Star Wars: A New this Hope. Was, that's for sure. This was seventy-five. Star Wars: New Hope was seventy-seven. Yeah, it was being written probably at this time. Um, so we start with Sarah and the Doctor taking a tour of the lesser-known parts of the TARDIS, including a, a boot cupboard, uh, yeah. which he says I've seen larger. <laughs> well, yeah, it's an enormous it's an enormous room with like fancy furnishings and a single pair of boots standing in the middle of it. Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, and they come to a second TARDIS control room, which is all nice wood, dark wood and very uh, mm-hmm. uh, ornate. And uh, this would be something we'd call steampunk today is really what yeah. it is. It's kind of, you know, it's, cause it's got the classic style wood and brass and everything, mm-hmm. but it's, a, you mm-hmm. know. It it suits the gothic horror themes that mm-hmm. they are working into Doctor Who at this point in the Philip Hinchcliffe era. Um, there's a lot of gothic style horror, and I think the wood control room is it really represents that. It has it does have like roundels on the walls; those mm-hmm. are those circular mm-hmm. things, um, but they're wooden, and a, and a few of them are stained glass. Yeah, or at least yep. meant to be stained glass. Yep. And I really like the 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 kind of Jules Verne era oh, yeah. control room, which the doctor says was the original control room mm-hmm. that I guess he and Susan would have been using. 
but I, I really like it. Unfortunately, we only get it for this season, but it's, it's, it's cool. I love it. Oh yeah. He also in the room has, um, some, you know, leftover items from previous incarnations. One of them, which Sarah Jane points out is a shaving mirror. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And another is, um, which is like a little mirror on a stand. So you don't have to hold it while you're shaving. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can angle it as you need it. And another is a frilly shirt, like the third doctor would wear. Yep. And another is a recorder, like the second doctor would play. And in fact, Sarah Jane picks it up and starts tootling badly <laughs> the tune British Grenadiers. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, oh, I know that tune. I know the lyrics to that tune. That's British <laughs> Grenadiers, only you're playing it wrong. <laughs> Yeah, and so yeah, they they you, you mentioned they have it for the rest of the season, but it goes away after that. Although I gather elements of it stick around, bits and pieces uh, will yeah, remain. So I'd have have to see. I don't remember. Yeah, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, it it from what I I had read at one point is that it basically got damaged between seasons and was unrecoverable. But there was also issues with filming within it as well. Okay. Yeah, it's disputed exactly why they quit using it. Um, that's one of the accounts. Another account is the new incoming season director just didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. So you mentioned they see the Mandragora Helix, which is a spiral of pure energy that no one understands. <laughs> yeah. I like that. And the visualization for this amazing spiral of energy is um is a bunch of little styrofoam, tiny sty- chunks of styrofoam swirling around in dyed blue water going down a drain yep. <laughs> it looks it looks like someone has just sucked the tidy bull man to his death <laughs> <laughs> yes it was and down the tart is down somebody, the drain somebody flushed <laughs> <laughs> so and he says at the center is a controlling intelligence which so it's it, obviously the parallel to the great intelligence, which we've been talking about recently, is there. And it's how many of these disembodied intelligences are there out there trying to take over the Earth? Because there's several competing ones uh, in in the Doctor Who, I noticed, um, <laughs> all at the same time and at, at, at various points. So it's kind of interesting that they went to this as the as the antagonist here, a disembodied in- intelligence again. It. There was a kind of a thing, I guess, back in mm-hmm. early in the sci-fi of the era, because Star Trek did this a couple of times too. These disembodied floating intelligences—it's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, before getting sucked into Renaissance Italy, they end up in some weird ring crystal space. Yep, uh, which is an interesting. They, they do kind of like this uh, a macro photography deal with these, obviously these tiny props that they've made look really big. With the TARDIS sitting in it, uh, mm-hmm. it yeah, it it reminds me of the of because we they fall through this black space through these crystal rings, and it reminds me of the opening credits of Lidsville, which was a uh, Butch Patrick nineteen seventies Saturday morning live action TV mm-hmm. show where he goes to Lidsville, which is a land where everyone's an intelligent hat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm really and um and and it's like okay we're falling down to lidsville and then we get down to the bottom and the tardis is sitting just in this black space and oh look it's the spluttering energy effect from land of the lost flying around (laughs) and it's like 
throwing off sparks and it gets into the TARDIS when the Doctor and Sarah Jane are hiding from it so they don't see that it gets in there. Yeah. Right, right. I, I, the I door open. I, yeah, I was going to say, I, I laughed about that. How I don't know how it got in the TARDIS as the front door is wide open. <laughs> Gee, I don't know how it just floated right in through the open door. My dad always said, like, you you leave the front door open, the bees will get in. It's same thing. Mm. So then we're we're in uh, Renaissance Italy, and uh, the old Duke and is boy, dead. Boy, are the peasants revolting! <laughs> yeah, they stink on ice. Uh, so the uh, <laughs> Monty Python, uh, not Monty Python, uh, History of the World Part Two, I think it is. It was the, the title of that movie. Anyway, an old man is uh, the oh, the old man, the old Duke is dead. His son confronts the court astrologer Hieronymus. Who predicted it exactly. Yeah. And, and the reason I keep calling him Jerry is because Hieronymus is the Latin version of the English name Jerome. Yep. Uh, and so in English, a diminutive of Hieronymus would be Jerry. Yep. <laughs> nice. That's interesting because, yeah, I'm just thinking of Hieronymus Bosch, the, the um, mm -hmm. TV detective, not the artist, uh, oh. whose partner's <laughs> name is Jerry. So they're oh. Jerry and Jerry. Jerry and Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, so there's they have a dispute over the accuracy of astrology, which is interesting because we will later find out that Jerry is not just an astrologer, but that from childhood he's been exposed to the M Mandragora energy intelligence that it's been feeding mm -hmm. him information. Mm -hmm. Not so it didn't just arrive; it actually apparently arrived in prior to this. This or moment. has been arriving it, throughout his life, yeah. basically. Yeah, it's kind of implied that it was around two thousand years ago. So that would be uh, in the um, in the uh, five hundred BC fourth century. Well, and we should we can talk about exactly when this is set mm -hmm. uh, a bit further on because they give conflicting information. Um, but yeah, this would be like four or five hundred years BC, and apparently it maybe like founded the cult of Demnos. And then early, at le on on one particular occasion that Jerry mentions, it visited him and his life and told him he was going to have this great destiny. And so he's been waiting his whole life for for it, the payoff, which is now. Yeah. And then um, the doctor indicates that in about five hundred years' time, in the late twentieth century, it's going to it will have the ability to menace Earth again. So apparently. The Mandragora Helix gets into some kind of series of periodic conjunctions that allow it to influence Earth. Mm -hmm. uh, will we see the Mandragora Helix again? Not on not on TV, but okay. they have they have written uh, a, uh, and recorded uh, a sequel. Uh, I think it's called Beautiful Chaos or something mm -hmm. like that. Um, that is that is sort uh, sort of a sequel, but I haven't really listened to it, yeah. so okay. I don't know how much they do with it. There is a yeah. there's a comic that deals with it and mm -hmm. some books that deal with it, but other than that, yeah, there's okay. There is an audio though. So the uh, although I don't think it's Big Finish, I think it's one of the audio books they recorded yeah. for this. Well, era. Yeah, because oh, there's okay. a book called Beautiful Chaos, and maybe that's mm -hmm. yeah. So, uh, so the 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 uh, old Duke was killed by his brother um, Uncle Freddy, um, mm -hmm. Fredo, we could say, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, uh, so he killed the old Duke in, and is in cahoots with the astrologer Jerry uh, to take over and uh, displace the his nephew Giuliano, um, and that all happens before the TARDIS lands. So, so the TARDIS lands; it's 15th century Italy, and the Doctor does that unfortunate thing of like, oh, the, there's a the whole reason it's that the it shows up now is because those awful 
dark ages of superstition are now ended and the new modern era of open thinking is just starting and this is the perfect time to take over and it's like no the the middle ages were not the dark ages there was lots of intelligence and it wasn't all superstition (laughs) okay okay so so this would be a good point to talk about this the the guy they hired to write this Mm -hmm. allegedly was an expert on this period of history and that's why he got the gig to write the script. Yeah. Well, I don't know how much he knew about uh, Italian culture in the Renaissance, but <laughs> wow, does this guy not understand the history of science? <laughs> um, I mean, there's there yeah. not only not only is um, is um, uh, is there the issue about the Dark Ages were not dark, but later on he's got Giuliano explaining a telescope. Mm-hmm. or the concept of a telescope to, to his friend Marco. And he's saying, there's a man in Florence who says that if you arrange a series of ground glasses, you can view the moon and the stars much bigger. And that's an obvious reference to Galileo, mm-hmm. um, because Galileo was in Florence, and he was the first person to use a telescope to view the moon and the stars. And so that's an obvious... The problem is, we're a century before that. <laughs> if this is the late 1400s, yes, then then Galileo's a century away. Well, and later on, the doctor remarks um, that we that another 50 years and we could have used Galileo's telescope. Okay, so Galileo started his u- using his telescope to view the stars in 1609. Back up 50 years from that, that would put us in 1559. Not the late 1400s, mm. and there are just several instances of this where the 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 he, okay maybe he knows a lot about Italian culture, but he does not know about the history of science. Well, and they they, they even pulled out the flat Earth that everybody thought the world oh, was flat before was you know before one. you know before Galileo. It's like uh, the Greeks knew that the Greeks and the Egyptians yeah. back before Christ knew that the world was round. Yeah. yeah, that thanks. I had a note on that as well. Yeah, um, he at one point Giuliano is telling Sarah Jane about this exciting possibility that the Earth is actually a sphere, and she's pretending not, you know, not to totally already know this. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, okay, no, any educated person, really anybody, mm-hmm. but especially any educated person like Giuliano clearly is would know in this period that the earth is round that had been known since several centuries bc yeah right right that's that myth that is taught to school kids probably even now still uh, that the people thought the of course the church flat. kept them the church kept people thinking it was flat you know that kind yeah, of idea yep. yeah i'm aware that here in america i think the flat earth idea or the idea that people believed the earth was flat before columbus was um pop i i want to say popularized by washington irving Probably, yeah. But there was an American author who kind of popularized that, and I, I wonder if, if that influence spilled over back to England, and mm. and that myth got established there as well, or if they have their own equivalent of Washington Irving that established the myth. <laughs> yeah, that whole thing about like the sailors wanted to throw Columbus overboard because they were afraid they would sail off the edge of the earth, and I remember that when I was a kid being told that, and, and so much. No, they wanted to throw him overboard because they thought that they, they bas- he basically led them into uh, to their death. It was going to take too right. long to get to the other side of the earth. They were going to run out of food and water. For some reason, TARDIS Wiki had put, put, dates this as 1492, speaking of Columbus. Yep. Yep. Uh, I'm not yeah. sure why. It, there was nothing in the... doesn't say that in the episode. Yeah, there's nothing in the episode that says it. So maybe in some of the secondary media, it, well, it referenced it. 
There is part of it, though, where at the end, the doctor says that the, the, the energy will come back in the late 20th century. Mm-hmm. So then that yeah. contradicts which, the 1550 which, date. Right, which he says is 500 years from now. So that would put us in the late 1400s. Yep. Right. right. Uh, anyway, so anyway, when the doctor and Sarah come out of the uh, TARDIS, they are uh, attacked by the black-robed brethren. Um, uh, not Dominicans, apparently. <laughs> or, <laughs> or what, what have you. They look more, and they, look more, uh, Dominicans wear white. Yeah, they look uh, more oh, yeah, Benedictine to me. Yeah, a bit more Benedictine. Um, and they uh, they abduct Sarah and knock out the doctor because the doctor makes the classic blunder of knocking down an enemy and then turning his back to him. <laughs> yep. And so he gets bonked in the head with a rock. Um, and then uh, the, the the doctor doesn't do too good with the locals right off the bat. Like he because he ends up you know getting knocked in the head with a rock and then he's surrounded by horsemen as he's trying yeah. to track down Sarah. Well, just, yeah, he he's lets he lets Sarah wander off, and then he spends a, a little bit looking for her, and he finds a bunch of like, I don't know, workmen having their lunch or something. Yeah, you know, just a bunch of peasant guys sitting by the side of the road, and oh, I'm looking for this woman about five foot four. Have you seen her? And then these horsemen from the Duke ride up, and the the because the peasants have literally been revolting, and the Duke has been <laughs> oppressing them, they run off. And so the doctor turns to the horsemen and starts blathering to them, trying to find out about Sarah Jane. And one of them takes his sword and points it right in the doctor's face and says, your life is in peril. Produce your documents. And so the doctor, who has been eating an orange that he and Sarah had plucked off an orange tree, takes the orange, casually sticks it on the edge of the rapier, (laughs) on the point of the rapier, and then goes to fishing around in his pockets as if to produce his documents. And instead of producing documents, he whips out an enormous party noisemaker and starts swinging it around (laughs) to scare the horses. And so the horses run away from the noisemaker, and that lets the doctor go on his way. But the way he does it, this Tom Baker is incredibly action-oriented in this story mm-hmm. he he knocks a guy off a horse jumps on the horse and rides off he also judo flips one of the guards he does sword fights against multiple opponents yep and um and then when later on when they're trying to behead him he's kneeling and they're about to swing the sword through his neck and he says oh wait a minute i i want to look my best for such occasions and he starts taking off his scarf and then he uses the scarf to trip the headsman who's about to kill him. Yep. He leaps off the execution platform onto the back of a horse and goes galloping off. And it's like, this is the most action Tom Baker ever. <laughs> this this looked more like a John Pertwee episode for action yeah. than Tom Baker. I mean, I was particularly interested in how he used the uh, the scarf to whip around the ankle of the executioner uh, and uh, tight enough that he could pull it and and pull him off his feet. I'm like yep. that that scarf is it's a multi-use yeah. scarf there that's really he nice. must have slipped some heavy object into it to let him have the tension <laughs> he needed yeah. or something yes yes uh so sarah is taken away to the these tunnels catacombs beneath the palace uh where she's go- about to be sacrificed to the pagan god demnos in- just like joe was going to be sacrificed in <laughs> doctor who and the daemons that's right <laughs> uh and poor sarah yeah, so- once again gets drugged out that happens quite a few times in her run. <laughs> she does. Uh, the doctor tries to first to convince Uncle Freddy to help to, to let him help uh, with the problems that they're having because uh, he because he knows that the Mandragora Helix energy is here. He he, he knows that that's a problem. 
he won't um what does he say to to him he won't tell federico's fortune like he won't tell his astrological fortune because he has no fortune if he doesn't let him help i thought that was a funny line mm-hmm. um you have no future uh let's see the the but uh, this is when federico sentences to be executed uh, as a sorcerer he he, he calls him that uh, several times um and then we have uh sarah in the cavern she's about to be sacrificed and that's when the doctor of course you know rushes in and escapes with her um as the helix energy is coming in well as i guess it's about to but i love i like the way that they stage this because instead of i mean we've had this action tom baker stuff going on and what they do here instead is they've got sarah jane who has been drugged um on the altar you know she's drugged so she won't resist being killed as you do Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm and the brethren are surrounding the altar. They've been chanting. Hieronymus has has got the ceremonial dagger they're going to use to kill her. He's standing at the head of the altar. He's raised the dagger, and then and he's like preparing to plunge it down into her neck, I guess, or her heart. And we the camera pans down from the from the dagger to see Elizabeth Sladen on the slab. And instead of remaining in place, Sarah Jane just starts like sliding down the slab. And then we pull back and see that the doctor is there (laughs) pulling her off the slab away from the knife. (laughs) And so he's just, they've been so focused on the ceremony, no one noticed him sneak up and start pulling her legs to get her off the slab. That was the uh, cliffhanger, I think, for the first episode. So was her laying there. Yep. Yeah. So. We hear the doctor talking about how the cult of Demnos was supposed to have died out in the third century. Um, the we we learn that the the like helix, a lot of pagan cults did. Right, right. Uh, the helix it promises to make Hieronymus, who's the purple robed leader of the of the uh, Demnos cult, into the supreme ruler of Earth. And there's a and the doctor then meets up with Giuliano and promises to work with him against the authoritarian rule of his uncle Federico. And meanwhile, Federico, it's interesting we've got these two antagonists. We've got, on the one hand, we've got Federico as a major antagonist, but we've also got Hieronymus, and they're supposedly working together, but Federico thinks that Hieronymus's astro- astrology is just bunk that he uses to prop up his rule. But Hieronymus is a true believer. No, no, my, my astrology is real. I'm, I have real uh, predictions, uh, which is, mm-hmm. is really not based on astrology, but actually on the foreknowledge of the helix energy that it has of time. Yeah, though there were very sincere astrologers in this period. Astro- people don't realize this, but astrology was considered a science. And um, it was one of the things you got in a classical liberal arts education because mm-hmm. it was part of, uh, part of your mathematics section. And mm-hmm. as, you know, they had the classical, the, so the seven, seven liberal arts were divided into a group of four which was known as the quadrivium, and then a group of three, which was known as the trivium. And one of the seven was mathematics, and you you got taught astrology and how it works as part of your math education. Hmm. And right. so people, people, all, all educated people had a background in astrology, and there were specialists in it who were very sincere. And, you know, they, they thought, yeah, you can do this, and it doesn't always work, but you can do this. It was like weather forecasting. Mm-hmm. You know, doesn't certainly doesn't always work, but um, <laughs> but it's better than not having any kind of a forecast. We talked about astrology in a whole episode of Mysterious World, 
And then mm-hmm. we talked about it again with in relation to Nostradamus. And those were two, right. if yeah. people want to hear that, uh, go check those out. Those and really he was episodes. actually a totally, in, he was totally incompetent as an astrologer. Even according <laughs> to the standards of the age, like of yeah. his peers. He was really uh, his, bad. <laughs> his, it's like you don't cast a, a horoscope and have the sun in two different places in the sky at once. <laughs> yeah. And so he was actually incompetent. What he really was was a, was a guy who admired stars. And he called himself an astrophile instead of an astrologer. Mm-hmm. But he admired stars, and he um, thought that they and other things basically gave him psychic intuitions. Mm. So he was really a psychic who was using astro- the trappings of astrology to, because, you know, I guess as his brand. <laughs> um, but he really, his predictions were, were based on other techniques. Mm. And you'll including, find out about those. <laughs> including going to the library, going to going to your library, picking out a you know in your home, picking up a book, opening it to a random passage, and assuming and basing a prediction on the random passage hmm. you just opened, which hmm. is a practice that uh, has been used. It's a kind of sortilege, um, mm-hmm. but it's a practice that has been used in other contexts, like when Saint Augustine opened the Book of Romans at random, and it and saw in it a message that he particularly needed at that moment. Right. Mm. I've heard of people today using it called Bible roulette, where you open up the Bible mm-hmm. and you point to over same thing. Yeah. Same yeah. thing. Sometimes it's it works, religion. sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> so uh, the doctor and Sarah go along with Prince Giuliano. They're going to the catacombs to, the doctor wants to go confront the, the, the brethren here. And I, I, I love in one description of the catacombs. Uh, mm-hmm. Later on, Uncle Fred is talking to his captain of the guard, mm-hmm. and the captain of the guard and uh, the captain of the guard doesn't really want to go into the catacombs to search for the brethren and stuff because he says that there are places in the catacombs where the bat droppings are twice the height of a man, <laughs> which would mean like twelve feet of bat droppings. Wow, that's yeah. um, <laughs> impressive, and. Uncle Fred says, yeah, I know, but he'll have to, the people we want will have to come out, the doctor or or whoever will have to come out. And the captain says, we must be ready for him then. And, and Freddie says, of course you must be dunghead. (laughs) 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 It's like, okay, yeah, if you swap out dung for one of its synonyms. (laughs) Yeah. That would uh, that would be a modern yes uh, yeah a modern <laughs> insult that would be context appropriate given the bat droppings yep. yes that's right uh, so the funny thing is, is as Giuliano and Pero hanging around outside uh, the, the the entrance to the the catacombs uh, that's when Federico shows up with his his posse of guards and Sarah decides to go running into the old temple yelling for the doctor as if the pagans won't hear her calling out the, to the doctor in these deep echoey caverns that she was almost sacrificed to death in uh yeah. you know and so they end up capturing her again meanwhile the doctor comes to pr- the uh, duke's prince duke's aid in, uh, in the sword fight in, as we mentioned and which was very in, very impressive sword fight uh including the classic maneuver where four swords all come down on one sword uh, defending at once the the whole thing and, he and you're able to them push off. off yeah push all yeah, four so, off which that would take a lot of body, upper body strength yes it's the classic errol flynn uh sword fighting uh so uh 
Sarah is captured, but instead of sacrificing her at this point, what uh, um, Hieronymus, Jerry, does is he hypnotizes her to kill the doctor. To just uh, prick him with a poisoned pin, and that will be enough uh, to uh, to kill him. And of course, we know that uh, hypnotism, you can't hypnotize someone to to do something like uh, that they wouldn't like want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but this is TV hypnotism, so yes. you can. Yeah. And Sarah Jane is like then skulking around looking for an opportunity to stab the doctor with the poison pin. And um and he then when he realizes it, the doctor talks her out of it, but it I think the implication is he's using his own hypnosis slash telepathy yep. to to break the spell mm-hmm. over her as he talks her out of it. And he says he knew all along that she yes. was hypnotized because she asked how she could understand Italian, something yep. that she's never asked previously. And so somehow that told her that, and he, he says, I'll, when she's hypnotized and she asks, how can I, I don't even, how can I know Latin? I don't even know Italian. And he says, I'll explain later. And they actually do get around to it later because yeah. he brings it up and he says, that's how I knew you were under mind control because you've never asked that before. And I'm going, <laughs> Really? <laughs> I mean, yeah. just someone asks a question they've never asked before, and you think they're under mind control? What? <laughs> how does every? How does anyone ever ask you a new question then? Right. Because once you've answered a question, um, you know they won't ask that same one. So there's always a first time for every question, and I don't think this is the first time someone has asked a question is a reliable indicator of mind control. <laughs> Although. <laughs> But is, he does yeah. he does explain it sort of for the period by saying it's a time lord's gift that mm-hmm. I allow you to share. Right. And later on Doctor Who they'll explain it's actually uh the TARDIS's telepathic circuits yep. that make this possible. And this is the first time that's explained that how people in the TARDIS can can understand all the language of all these places that they go to is uh is through this gift. Mhm. Uh, so we do find out that the doctor is looking forward to meeting Leonardo da Vinci, but he never gets to. That's just in this episode. In this episode, right? City, right wait yeah. for City of Death. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, Federico dies at the end of the third act, uh, as I, I like to call it, the third episode, at the hands of the uh, glowing uh, Hieronymus when he faceless. Gets, yes, when he's given a blank look, and um, then we have lots of discussion between Marco, the friend of Giuliano, and Giuliano about the wisdom of holding this mask ball featuring all of the 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 most important people of Renaissance Italy uh even as they're barricading themselves in against the attack of the brethren uh and apparently so for some reason holding the mask is a very important part of of Giuliano establishing his reign as duke well, he's going to get recognition from all of these other famous people. They've invited so this is a shindig for all these scholars and their patrons. Mm-hmm. And if the patrons, who are the rich guys that are really running things, acknowledge Giuliano as the new duke, that will, you know, give him soft power essentially. I mean, he's got the legal title, mm-hmm. but the recognition of the legal title by people with actual power will help stabilize his rule. And there has been a um a peasant revolt going on because of how bad, you know, Uncle Fred has been. Mm-hmm. And so th- apparently this is going to help with that. And so he wants to keep, Marco wants him to keep the mask 
even though the 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 guests have detected that something's going on, he Marco tells Giuliano that he'll look weak if he if he just if he cancels the mask at, at the first sign of trouble. And um, so the thing to do, Marco says, is to go ahead and hold it. And we'll deal with the cult of Demnos because we we were in this fortress and we've got all these soldiers and and you can't afford to look weak in front of these other people, you know, lest right. they start jockeying against you and it makes things worse. I was interested how long that conversation was. You know, it was a fairly substantial scene in length compared to everything else that and them discussing this. So it felt like. Yeah, this was something ba- that this... back to jumping on horses, please. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, it felt kind of like something that the author, who is a quote unquote expert on Renaissance history, just felt like he needed to get on paper and on screen. Um, so the doctors play. We have well, I, I, I'm kind of jumping ahead nearly to the end, but there's a lot of um, running about where. People are captured. Marcos gets captured and tortured. It sounds like horribly tortured. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the, then Giuliano and the doctor and Sarah Jane are all captured. Um, the doctor gets loose. And um, they finally turn, turn the tables. Uh, Federico's dead. Turn the tables on the guard captain, Rossini, where they, basically the other guards just refuse to support him anymore. And they, they turn to support the the actual duke and it's it's sort of a you know you're on your own now buddy what are you gonna do and he's the one who takes a knee and hand, hands over his sword in the mm-hmm. face of obvious defeat and marcus is like all right let's execute him right here and now and giuliano says no uh he'll have his his trial he'll have his day in court so giuliano was well he no, he doesn't say that not, he says literally take, take him away his fate will be decided later yep Right, which is which is a nice children's television way of not having a beheading on screen right now. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. I I took it as him, you know, trying to show that he's going to be a different type of ruler than his authoritarian yeah. uh, uncle yeah. and dad. Um, yeah. So um, the doctor's plan is to draw off the helix energy, but it's only a guess. He's guessing at it, and um, he says, "When have I ever guessed wrong?" Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. So, yeah, so he's about to go. I thought this was very effective. So he's about yeah. to go off to confront uh, Jerry, and um, he's got this metal breast piece on, and he's got a bunch of wire, and and Sarah's like, are you sure this is going to work? And it's, well, if, I, if I've guessed right, it will. And, um, and otherwise, otherwise it'll be fatal. But when did I ever guess wrong about anything? And he, he walks off, and Sarah's just there and says, sotto voce. Lots of times. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was really good. Yeah, because she's been around long enough now. She knows that, that he's he's not been perfectly guessing. And, and when she doesn't hear back from him quickly, I mean, they imply a bunch of time has passed, but she's at the dance, and she's doing dances that it really, she would have no way of keeping up with. Mm-hmm. Because they're, these are courtly, elegant dances. They require very precise footwork. And Sarah Jane is from the disco era. Yeah. So the disco is like the no skill form of dancing. <laughs> and and it's it's like there's no way you're going to keep up with courtly dances from the 1400s. Right. Trust it, take it from one who knows. <laughs> yeah. These these were very very precise. Um but uh she says all this waiting, not knowing what's happened to him because the doctor's gone off to confront Jerry. It's worse than being with him. 
Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I really like that. It's worse than being with him. (laughs) So, uh, the doctor gets captured by Hieronymus for, uh, or confronted as he's setting up the trap. And, uh, Hieronymus starts zapping him yeah, with force guess, lightning. Yeah, the, the, the breastplate protects the doctor, uh, but then ah. we end with uh, with unresolved what yeah. what happens. It 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 sort of protects the doctor, but he's clearly in pain right. each time he gets hit. I don't know why wearing the metal breastpiece is supposed to help, mm. um, because there's nothing. I mean, unless he's got a trail of wire mm-hmm. that goes down to the ground that breast piece is not he's not any more grounded wearing that thing <laughs> yeah. than yeah. he would be just with his feet on the ground his yeah. body is still going to be yeah you know damaged by the energy and they don't establish him as having a a a wire tail right on the metal breast piece. So I don't know exactly how that's supposed to be helping him. Yeah, if, if anything, it, it's going to make it worse because it'll travel that energy to other parts of his body, not just the direct hit. Yeah. So, and then um, in the throne room, the the uh, Sarah, Giuliano, and others are uh, captured by the brethren and taken and away. And they start killing them. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, they break into the da- to, to the dance and just start zapping people. and. Wow, bunches of party guests die. It is it is not um <laughs> I, I think mm. I think Dimnos has a partial victory here. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're killing a lot of these scholars and patrons and their wives and wow, lots of death. And then then the Hieronymus rips off his mask and it's the doctor. Yep. So we know that um right. the doctor survived the encounter with Hieronymus and replaced him. And it's interesting. So A that the doctor doesn't stop the killing at the mask in the yeah. ball. And mm-hmm. B Well that he they, does. He just lets it go on for a while first. <laughs> right. But also well, no, he doesn't um reveal himself until they're in the temple. Correct. Right. With, but yeah. I was compressing that. So yeah. he impersonates Hieronymus and eventually we will learn that Hieronymus is really the doctor at this point. Yeah. But he says the final sacrifice must be done in our temple. So let's bring all of the victims down to the temple. And they're waiting for a lunar eclipse to happen. Right. Um, And they show us a lunar eclipse effect that is not at all what a lunar eclipse looks like. (laughs) But the lunar eclipse is going to be the sign of new incoming uh, Mandragora energy to fully charge them. So this is the moment when the doctor wants to strike, when the the Mandragora energy they've got right now is spread really thin among them. And then mm-hmm. he also wants to bleed off the new incoming energy, right. which also completely bleeds off the bodies of the of the uh, Mandragora cultists, because afterwards it's just robes and masks laying on the ground. So yes. that's pretty interesting. The other interesting thing is that they they never show us. We don't know what happened to Hieronymus. Did the doctor kill him? Did the doctor or he someone? exhausted himself and died yeah. or something? Yeah. yeah, we don't know exactly what happened to yeah. him. Because you see the mask kind of backlit, and it kind of flickers the more he shocks the doctor, and eventually it just mm. fades out. You it's know, kind of unusual to have a villain who just disappears off screen, like we just with no real resolution. And, of, and the idea what is happens. apparently the energy took over their bodies completely, so that they are just energy at that point. They're, Equals MC yeah. squared. Well, <laughs> but that was the case before the Mandragora energy. Um, and they also continue to have 
free will and act as humans. Mm-hmm. Mm. Like Hieronymus is clearly still Hieronymus, even when he has no face. Right. Right. But, uh, you know, if we, if they, if a villain vanishes off screen after a confrontation with the doctor, I think we're allowed to infer the worst possible thing happened to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Right. That uh, they don't want to depict it at children's family show. Uh, so, so yeah, so they've, he've killed off all of the, uh, the brethren and, uh, then the doctor says, I wouldn't say no to, uh, a salami sandwich, which where, you know, when you're in, you know, that part of Italy, it's probably not a bad idea to ask for a salami sandwich because it's, well, he ends up with salami. a nice big chunk of salami. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah. so they, they, uh, they, we, we cut to the final scene. They're saying goodbye Don't to Giuliano. They wouldn't have known what a sandwich was though. Those hadn't been nope. invented yet. No, no. So he just gets the salami. And uh, the doctor does say that um, the Mandragora helix is not destroyed. It's not gone. It'll, it'll, it, in fact, like we said before, it'll be back in 500 years at just about the end of the 20th century, which when this was being filmed and even when it's set in the, the early 80s uh, or thereabouts. Um, so that was still in the future of, of, that, of um, Sarah Jane's time frame. But, uh, but we, never, we never see it again. Um, in not on TV. screen. Not on screen. Nope. So, anything else to say about this uh, story? Any last notes, Father Corey? So we find out that Sarah Jane is five foot four and a half inches, and she's really proud of that half inch. <laughs> yes, <laughs> which means she's short. <laughs> yes. Uh, Jimmy. So I liked this. It was a pretty simple, straightforward plot. Um, I, it had nice sets and settings. Um, I liked the, uh, fancy Italian marble like rooms. If you've ever like seen expensive places like the inside of Italian cathedrals and stuff, you know how much the Italians loved their marble, Mm -hmm. um, back in the day and used it in all kinds of created ways. And of course, these are really just sets, set flats that have been painted Mm-hmm. to look like marble, but I still like them. They look good, even if they're wobbly. Mm-hmm. In the catacombs, there apparently was a temple of Demnos at one point, and when the Mandragora energy is there, it it like causes the temple to be restored. And they there's it, it does this a few times, but in one case, the doctor is there alone, so the cult is not there, but the doctor is, and the Mandragora energy is intimidating him by lighting up different, no matter where he turns, it lights up a different part of the restored temple. And it's like boxing him in mm. by, so instead of just being in this dark cavern, all of a sudden there's temple stuff there with pillars and decorations on the walls and stuff. And I, I think this is a really nice sequence where they're using a practical stage effect, because all this is Mm pre-CGI. They've painted these flats to where if you turn the light off, it looks like you're in a cavern, but if you put a spotlight on them, it looks like you're in a temple. And so what they're really doing is just turning on different spotlights to make the temple appear and box the doctor in. And I think that's that's a nice effect. Other effects are are not as cool. I mean, the Mandragor energy itself, when we first see it, it's like a big spark that throws mm-hmm. or that throws off other sparks. It looks kind of. I mentioned in the recap, it looks kind of like this spluttering energy effect you would also see in 1975 on Land of the Lost, which was American children's television. So it's pretty low budget. 
Also, when they're charging themselves up to be able to use force lightning, they put their hands over the altar and sparks leap up from the altar into their hands. And it's okay. I mean, it communicates the idea of what's going on, but it's it's not a great effect. But, you know, I'm not here for the effects. Mm. Um, one thing that I thought was a little implausible is um, Hieronymus announces to the brethren at one point that Demnos, the god that they've been worshiping for 2,000 years, is really just a servant of Mandragora. And so we're, we're worshiping the Mandragora intelligences now. Demnos was just their servant. And I'm going, I don't think religious conversions happen that easily. <laughs> you, you've, you've been worshiping Demnos for 2,000 years. I mean, not you personally, but you've been, you've, been, you've been so committed that you're running this underground cult, which could get you killed if you were exposed and didn't repent. And you, so you're pretty committed to Demnos if you're doing that. And, um, and, oh, guess what? He's just the servant of this other group of intelligences. I, I, that, yeah, that's not how religious conversions work. <laughs> right. Excellent. So, uh, I think that about does it for our discussion of the Mask of Mandragora. Uh, before we go, we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including Zach B, Ed M, Michael F, Shiloh S, and Michael P. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. We'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us each week. So that's it from us. What did you think of The Mask of Mandragora? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or send an email to Who at sqpn.com, or visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the 12th Doctor story, Listen. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing the Secrets of Doctor Who. Grazie, ciao, Domenico. <laughs> and Father Cory Stiga, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, Mandragora takes away from man the only thing worth having, a sense of purpose. <laughs> <laughs>